Thanks for tuning in to episode two of Innovation Activists, Designing Healthcare's Future. I'm Reed Omery, and today we're broadcasting again out of Nashville, Tennessee. We have our special guest, Dr. Geraldine McGinty, who is a radiologist and the chief strategy and contracting officer at New York City's Weill Cornell Medical Center. Uh, she's also vice chair of the American College of Radiology's Board of Chancellors and has extensive experience in organizational development, mentorship, and new payment models for healthcare. So glad you joined us today. Uh, in your healthcare career, you've had a lot of leadership experience. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got started? Thank you so much, Reed, and thanks for having me. Um, I'm always hesitant to talk about my career in a way that suggests that it's been a straight line and that everything's been intentional. It's been a fair amount of zigzagging. I came out of training in a really historically terrible job market, and I really struggled to find a job in my chosen specialty in breast imaging. So I had taken a job um, basically doing the barium schedule in a hospital in the suburbs of New York City. Turned into a great experience, loved teaching the residents, but very shortly after I started, I got a call out of the blue from Montefiore Hospital and they had been struggling with providing outpatient services to the community. Um, their competitors were taking all the outpatient volume because the level of service just wasn't what it needed to be. And they hired me pretty much straight out of fellowship to build an outpatient imaging center for them. For them. I, um, I had to attend the construction meetings and hire the staff and figure out how the equipment worked and how you figure out maintenance for equipment. So I was thrown in very much at the deep end in terms of building a program. But I think very important I was also able to supplement that after a few years with some focused and, and meaningful leadership training when I did my MBA at Columbia. So I was able to put some theory onto what I'd been, frankly, occasionally winging it uh, to do. When I came out of business school, my chair at the time, Steve Amos, was chair of the board of chancellors of the ACR. So his challenge to me was, I sent you to business school. Now you're going to start giving back by volunteering for the ACR. And that really has been uh, a phenomenal experience in terms of my leadership journey, obviously learning the weeds of healthcare economics through my work um, at The Ruck, but also understanding how you shape an organization and how you drive change in an organization. What did it feel like starting out young, not sure that you even knew what a leader was? What did it feel like to be propelled right into the action? Terrifying. Um, I worked incredibly hard, but I was so passionate about what I did. And I think that there are things that were completely intuitive to me that are still the foundation of how I um, interact with people and, and decide how to focus my efforts today. And, and really the most important thing for me was the patient experience. I had been given a clear direction. This has to be about the patient experience. So even back then, you know, and you know, we were testing out a voice dictation system that was really rudimentary. We had the first spiral CT scanner in New York, which broke down constantly, but it was all about making sure that we call doctors with results, talk to patients about their results if they wanted. And so that I guess was, in, was felt intuitively right to me. Um, and I just ran around in circles a bit at the beginning to make that happen. And then obviously I think as I got more experienced and, and learned some management skills, I was able to put more process on it. When was the point you actually realized that you might be leading something? Certainly at Montefiore, when I realized that, you know, I had a team of people that were depending on me to decide how to set our priorities and, and help them shape their careers and, and 
make sure that we did the right thing. It never felt intimidating to me, but it, it certainly was something that I saw as a huge responsibility. And it's interesting. I don't have that many direct reports in my current job, probably intentionally so, because to me, that responsibility that you have as a leader to the people, especially in a, in a, a reporting situation, is really significant. You have to give so much more than you should expect to get. So the process of, of giving of yourself, that, that may be for some people counterintuitive because they view leadership in a more traditional style of command and control. You're actually saying something completely different. Absolutely. I think that to me, a leader is somebody who creates an environment that enables people to do their best, enables people to do more than they thought they could do. I think that's a that's a huge responsibility. And to me, I see it as a significant set of skills and a significant job. What are some of the methods you can use to inspire people to do more than they think they can do? Uh, I think setting a vision is really important um, and setting, you know, goals, not just goals, but stretch goals. And I think making it very clear on the why. I think you have to model the kinds of behaviors that you're saying are important. So, you know, empathy and collaboration, you, you, you and I think you really have to be in there with people. But something that, that I think you have to learn as a leader is you have to let people do what they're going to do. You have to let them take some risks. You have to manage them through the inevitable failure and, and support them so they'll try again. For many people, there's an awkwardness and a fear of failure. How do you help people overcome that anxiety? For me, I think it's about being authentic about the fact that it happens to all of us. Um, you have to be open about when it hasn't gone well for you. And again, that's that idea that you don't want to portray your career as this sort of shining path, you know, towards being a leader. It zigs, it zags, and sometimes you screw it up. So you have to be authentic about that. And recognizing that is, that is the, an essential component. Absolutely. I mean, if you don't, if you don't open yourself to feedback and if you don't, you know, acknowledge failure and what you could have done differently and how you'll do it differently next time, how can you get better? So we often hear about the importance of culture uh, and, uh, you know, this is a, a podcast series that is devoted to innovation in healthcare. Uh, what does a culture of innovation look like? I think that more and more it needs to start with a conversation and a process that includes everyone because I think that clearly we've had a very hierarchical um, system of decision making in healthcare, and I think our training as physicians has been about this sort of lone medical hero who you know we don't depend on anyone. So I think we have to start by really structuring decision making so that it includes all of the stakeholders. There's buzzwords in there, but making sure that we don't make decisions about things without having all of the people who are going to have to enact them and the people that's going to impact. How do we develop a culture that is inclusive? Well, that's a that's a thorny topic, and we could probably do a, a whole other <laughs> podcast on that. You know, the, the the idea of how do we make sure that we that we have the right people in the room. We've certainly seen in, on the corporate side that, frankly, sometimes we have to we have to require that diversity. We have to say you must have 
these stakeholders in the room. Um, it, it's sometimes just so easy to pull together the people that you're comfortable with. I've, you know, I've certainly done that myself. Is, is there a way to measure a culture of innovation? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I thought about that. I mean, you know, companies like 3M have, um, I think, had metrics about how many new patents they'll get. Or, you know, it's a little different, obviously, on the um, on the service delivery side. You know, I think there are some real proxies for it. Things like patient satisfaction, things like retention and recruitment of your key people. Um, those are things that I see as if, if those are going well, I think you probably have a culture of innovation. So you're really going once again at the human element. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it's interesting, you know, in healthcare and certainly in radiology, we're all about the marriage of medical care with technology. But, you know, for me, healthcare is an incredibly intimate and personal service that we provide to our patients. So the human element has to be right. What advice would you have for someone in healthcare who wants to become an innovator? How would they get started? What might they do? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of our healthcare systems can feel incredibly complex and um, there are huge demands, especially let's focus on, on the providers for a moment, huge demands in terms of you know, regulatory compliance and, um, and, and the work, especially in radiology, which can, which can feel you know, quite overwhelming, I think, sometimes. The way I've gone about innovation is, is, has been around finding like-minded people um, and just pushing here and there to see where there's a door that might open and understanding who else in the organization you can connect with to drive change. Um, starting small um, and again, realizing that not every effort is going to go anywhere. Sometimes you'll, you'll, you'll try something, it won't work, but you'll have met someone along the way that the next time you see an opportunity, you'll be able to pull that person along and there'll be two of you. Would you look at innovation as, as starting out with a pilot program? Some, something that essentially is small enough if it fails, it's, uh, it's still a learning experience? I think so. I mean, it, it certainly feels lower risk for a lot of people. Um, and uh, I think it's something it's it, when you can point to a success on a small scale, I think that gives you some capital for the next one thing you want to try. As a leader, both at, at Cornell and within the American College of Radiology, you know, you, you've been able to expand your your impact considerably on a national scale. Uh, you are a role model for many many people. How does that make you feel? <laughs> Incredibly uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> when I have gotten on a soapbox, it's, it's always been about something that I felt very passionate about. Um, the Imaging 3.0 initiative, for example, was a sense that payment models were changing and we needed to do something different. But we couldn't just stand and say, this is, you know, we've got to make radiologists more visible. We've got to change payment to support, you know, radiologists being more connected into the care team. There was a lot of legwork that had to be done in terms of convincing people. So there had to be some branding around that. You know, I had to stand up and say, I believe this. I've seen people doing this. You can do this. You know, you have to, you have to have, um, you, you have to be inspiring. 
And then I suppose, uh, you know, obviously I'm going to be the first woman to be uh, board chair in May. Awesome. Thank you. (laughs) Really thinking back, I've had incredible mentors and sponsors in my career. I mean, Steve Amos, who who started my my career with the college, Bib Allen, who um, preceded me as economics chair. They've pretty much all been men. Now that I've been given the opportunity, you know, what's that quote? You know, it's not success if it's just you. It is really incumbent on me to make sure that this organization, um, both the organization that I'm volunteering with at the college and the organization at which I have my day job at Cornell, is a place where women feel that they have sponsors and mentors that not only are male, because they still will be, but also include strong women who are achieving uh, in leadership roles. What is the difference between a mentor and a sponsor? I think it's an important one. Um, you know, a mentor is somebody who gives you advice on your career and a sponsor is someone who gives you opportunities to do more. Um, you know, that Ham- that song from Hamilton, in the room where it happens, your sponsor is someone who's in there who's going to bring you in, that they have the authority to open that door and give you that opportunity. And there's definitely a sense, I think, that women are sometimes over-mentored Lots of advice about what you should and shouldn't do when what we really need is put us on committees, give us tasks, give us assignments. We hear a lot about mentorship. We hear much less about sponsorship. I mean, you could certainly argue that sponsorship is sort of subsumed under the concept of mentorship. I think uh, for me, certainly, it has been a much more important career development tool. If there is someone young who is starting out, how might they approach someone to either sponsor and or mentor them? I think that sometimes that interaction can feel a little awkward, right? I, what I try to talk to people about is networking. Always be having conversations with people. Um, reach out to senior people in your organization and ask them if you can just come and hear their story. How did they get to do what they're doing? What do they like? What would they like to change? People in senior leadership are very generous with their time. And that way you'll meet people and not everyone will be a connection, but you'll find a way to sift out, okay, this is someone with whom I have a connection. A couple of other things. You are not, it's not going to be this one, in my opinion, one relationship that you'll have. I have a number of mentors and sponsors. I I add them all the time. Um, and then the other thing is you have to be, it's a two, it's definitely a two way street. Make sure they know what you're doing. Make sure you're asking, is there a project that they're working on that you can help them with? I have mentors who are very junior to me from whom I learn a lot. So it's, to me, it's a, it's a kitchen cabinet. What are one or two tangible things that leaders might do to inspire innovation? Um, I'm going to paraphrase one of my mentors, Tom Lee. Tom is the chief medical officer of Prescani, who says that think about what it is that you find important. What are the things that you think need to change? Because if you start with something that you're passionate about, you will definitely bring some additional capital, right? As a leader, again, it goes back to enabling people to try new things, Modeling out that it's it, this is this is something where we're going to try to do differently. Some failures inevitable. Celebrating success and building community around the time, around the project. That's wonderful. So glad you could join us today, Geraldine. 
It's been a lot of fun to learn from you and to have this conversation and really appreciate your your authentic responses. And, and not everyone is comfortable uh, saying that when they began, they were they had a lot of anxiety and were unsure how to proceed. Uh, you've really helped for us emphasize the value of people and connections and the value of establishing a broad network. And it's not just one person or two people. It's really trying to reach out, uh, expand your learning, and also have this almost like a playfulness towards trying something new. Absolutely. You know, I think that part of the community piece of this is that you start to meet people who become your friends. I mean, I think about the fact that we've connected essentially through social media. And, you you know, if this is something that's going to be a very uh, significant effort and time-consuming, there has to be some fun there too. We do important work, but we should enjoy ourselves while we do it. Well, well thank you so much for, for your time today. Uh, I'd ask everyone who is listening to consider how would you inspire a culture of innovation in your practice and share your thoughts with me on Twitter at Reed Omery. Uh, Geraldine McGinty is also on Twitter, very active. Please join us in a conversation. Also, stay tuned for our next episode of Innovation Activists uh, next month, where we will feature Professor Matthew Walker uh, from the engineering school at Vanderbilt University, where we'll, we'll discuss activism. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. 